Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Thank you for joining me once again on KCBS In-Depth. I'm Jane McMillan. In the American political arena, some of the most influential players are not the ones on a ballot or in front of a news camera. Often, these movers and shakers are behind the scenes, organizing movements, funding political races, and crafting policy. Some of these names, well, we've heard them. Mercer, Koch, Adelson, Soros, Bloomberg, and from San Francisco, Steyer. Tom Steyer is a former professional investor, a very, very successful one as founder of Farallon Capital. He is a philanthropist and political activist. Mr. Steyer has backed progressive candidates, used his money to campaign for environmental and educational policies. And he and his wife, Kat Taylor, have committed to using most of their wealth for charitable causes over their lifetimes. In 2013, Tom Steyer founded Next Gen Climate to advocate for policies to deal with climate change and social justice. This year, the organization's name has been changed to Next Gen America, this to encompass more issues, including voter engagement, equality and immigration. In fact, they've just announced a seven-figure investment in a network of immigration legal services. Tom Steyer's activism, political and financial heft, put his name into conversation when talk turns to elected office, too. Today on In-Depth, we get to know him a little more. Tom Steyer, thank you so much for coming to In-Depth and welcome. Jane, it's great to be here. Thank you. Next Gen Climate, very well-known organization, emphasis on clean energy, clean water, addressing climate change promoting candidates that were also interested in that. But recently, next-gen climate has become next-gen America. Why? Well, I think if you go back to our mission statement, our mission statement is to act politically, to prevent climate disaster, promote prosperity, and protect the fundamental rights of every American. And we felt that since we're dealing with a broad group of issues, to brand ourselves as strictly climate was actually inaccurate. For years, we've been working across a suite of progressive issues, and we felt that our name should reflect that. Obviously progressive. Would you consider yourselves nonpartisan, though? Is it more the issue than the party? We are very much issue-oriented. We are very much um, driven by our values. But I think that we have exclusively supported Democrats because we have yet to find that there's never been a close call in terms of who we're supporting between the parties. I noticed that on your website and as you rolled out Next Gen America, that there is a lot of anti-Trump. Is President Trump the rallying point that you see for getting more people involved? Is, is being against what the current administration stands for and is doing is that kind of the rallying cry, or is there a broader push for movement progressively, for in favor of something? Yeah. Let me say this. We, from 
the minute he got elected, we understood that the threat that this administration and this president pose to the health, the safety, and the prosperity of every American. So we have been proud members of the resistance from November 8, 2016. But I don't think that's nearly enough. I mean, the fact of the matter is we have been working for a vision of a better America for everybody the entire time. And that's really what we're for. It's not just that this administration does so many bad things. It's they don't do the good things that are obvious that would make us all so much better off. And that is what we want to make sure Americans know that it is not rocket science to understand how we can have a cleaner, healthier, more prosperous future. There's got to be an engagement of the public, no matter what movement takes place. So I want to kind of go back to that idea of what is the rallying cry? What's the intersection in issues that you think will mobilize people regardless of their current party affiliation or ideology, that there are some basic issues of just health, wellness, fairness. Well, when, one of the easy ways for us to organize this, in my mind, is to look at the budget. And because when how people use money has a lot to do with where their values are. So one of the things we deeply believe in is for a prosperous, just society, we should be investing in Americans that we should be investing in education. We should be investing in the health system. One of the things in, the, in Trump's proposed budget that he was going to take away free lunch from poor kids. That is something that is so against our values that blows my mind. So first of all, I'd invest in Americans because when you look at prosperous societies around the world, they're societies where the citizens are effective and well cared for. Second thing, America's going to get rebuilt. Things wear out. We need to rebuild a clean America, and that is a gigantic jobs program for the country. We have to do it. We have to do it for environmental reasons. We have to have cleaner air. We need to deal with the climate threat. And what that will do is not only clean our air, but also put people to work at good-paying jobs all over the country. And the third thing is we need to protect the fundamental rights of Americans. They are under attack, whether it's the right to vote, a woman's right to choose, the right of transgender people to be in the military. There is a concerted attempt to go after people who are not in the group of people supporting this administration. How do you and your organization and you as an individual, a philanthropist, an activist, what's the magic key to getting those, these messages through to the American public. Media doesn't help. Uh, we tend to be headline-oriented. There are great journalists out there. But it's in, in this society, it's hard to get past a soundbite. It's hard to get past a short clip of something. And these are all complex issues. If you, we, what we really believe in is grassroots and the broadest possible democracy. So if you look at what we did in 2016 and what we're trying to do in 2017 and going forward, it is to enable Americans to be informed on the issues, to be engaged in our democracy, to participate in our democracy. So if you look at 2016, what did we do? We registered 807,000 Californians. With eight partners from organized labor, we knocked on 12.5 million doors and two, had 2.5 million conversations. And those conversations were about the issues, were about economic justice, environmental justice, racial justice, schools. 
We turned people who had been sporadic voters, who'd voted between 25 and 50 percent of the time, into people who voted two-thirds of the time. So what we believe in is traditional American democracy, citizens talking to citizens about the issues that matter most to them so that we get the broadest participation and the best answers. That type of grassroots, any type of movement, has, still has to reach across political ideology. Are these voters who would already have likely voted progressively and who were just staying home? Or are these voters who can be convinced on the basis of an issue rather than ideology or a D or an R next right. to their registration? Well, what I'd say is this. We believe in register, engage, participate. We are doing a huge program uh, in 17, and we'll continue doing in 18, and we did it in 16, called Next Gen Rising, which is to go onto college campuses. We're determined to be half of those be community colleges, but also to do as much organizing in the same states for young people who are not going to college. So what we're doing is talking to citizens about the issues they care about so that they will be engaged and see their participation in the political system in voting as being not just something that they like to do, but something that's important as to who they are. So when you talk about, are we trying to persuade them of what we believe? Actually, what we're doing is giving them information so they can think things through in their own way, but they understand our political system depends upon the participation and the activity of citizens. You can't not vote. If you don't vote, your opinion doesn't count. It's getting hard to vote in some states. It's already hard to vote in some states. And the Supreme Court is going to look at, at uh, gerrymandering. Um, you hopeful about that? Very. Listen, it, the third thing I said to you was we need to protect mm -hmm. the fundamental rights of American citizens. There's no more fundamental right of an American citizen than to have his or her ballot be counted. The Republicans have systematically attempted to take away the franchise from people who they don't think will vote for them. And that seems to me to be something that is deeply unpatriotic and anti-American, and we are absolutely opposed to it. Why do you think, since it is such a sacred opportunity to vote, why aren't people doing it? Why, especially young people, why aren't they doing it? Well, the so-called millennial generation under 35 is the largest age cohort in the United States, including the baby boomers. So to the extent that they participate at the same levels as other age cohorts, they become the most important group in American politics. They tend to be quite knowledgeable about the issues. They, in fact, tend to be very passionate about a lot of issues. And they tend to be very progressive. You know, I think 83% of the people want to vote for somebody who's going to push forward on a clean energy agenda, for instance. 75% of them want to push for somebody who is pro-choice. The question is, why are they participating at such low levels at the voting booth? And we believe that the answer to that is that they don't fully trust the system or they don't trust the system at all. They think the system, the American political system, the parties are corrupt and that they are not listening to them and that their vote, in effect, is something that they are suspicious about. There's a phrase we believe in. Young Americans want a country that lives up to their values. If they don't think you're being sincere, if they think that you're being trying to trick them or being hypocritical, they turn off immediately. All right. What's the answer 
finding better candidates, encouraging young people to start running? Is it a little bit of a cop out to say I'm not going to participate because I don't trust the system? To get to get into it to change it, do they see that they need to step They're in? They're very skeptical. We did a poll at the time of the Democratic National Convention, and we asked who is more popular, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, or Lord Voldemort. <laughs> Voldemort did well. That's oh, all I can tell you. Oh, gosh. So what, a lot of what we're doing when we talk to young people is to talk about issues, but also to talk about how important it is that they step up. You ask what is necessary. What is necessary is to get rid of the corruption and the corruption of money in politics. That is, I'm so glad you brought that up. That was my next question. Your opinion on Citizens United, your opinion on money in politics, you are one of the few people in the nation that have the ability to utilize sums of money, good sum, big sums of money, to help forward causes. And so as someone with those resources, you still feel that money in politics is the big problem. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, if you look, we're absolutely opposed to the idea that corporations or special interests are allowed to put unlimited money into politics because that is distorting our political system and is also causing people to believe our political system is corrupt because it is. And we understand the idea that my spending money in politics has a certain irony to it. So let's just deal right up front with that. I've tried to make 100% sure that nothing I do benefits me. I have got, you know, bent over backwards to make sure that I never am pushing for something that will in any way, shape, come back to me in the bottom line. And that's completely different from them. We have worked our tail off to be as transparent as possible, not to hide what we're doing. I mean, here I am on the air with you answering any question you ask me because we believe that one of the things they do is hide who they are. They use every stratagem in the book to pretend that, that the voices on the air or the, the pictures on the TV are not paid for by corporate interests. Yeah, so, there is a whole dark money funnel system uh, that is going on. And so you're saying that you're, you and your organization do not participate in dark money projects of any kind. Absolutely not. And, we, and I think the other thing that's really true is we believe that there is an implicit struggle going on in American society between corporate interests and American citizens. And it's played out in the political arena very straightforwardly in terms of the way the money is spent, the way the money is contributed, and the way that people respond to it. And you can see it clear as a bell in climate where voters know darn well climate is changing. It's caused by human activity, and we should be acting on it. But Republican elected officials are following the money, following the contributions that they get, and are denying it and are you know, doing everything they can to support the fossil fuel industries that fuel their careers. Do you think that everybody does agree, everyone knows it? It's been a hard story to tell in a headline, and you have spent years with your organization trying to talk about this. Where, where, well, where are the successes and when, where are we still stumbling? That's kind of two questions. The first one is, do Republicans and Americans in general accept the facts? And the answer is yes. If you look at the polling numbers, regardless of how you ask the question, the majority of Republicans know the truth, want to act on the truth. The issue is, for the, in terms of turning that into power at the ballot box, they tend to think it's not an important issue. So they don't see it as an urgent issue. They agree with it. They would, they would much prefer people move to clean energy. They're in favor of that. But if you ask them, is that one of your top three issues? The answer is no. 
So therefore, it's not a voting issue. So if you're running for office, you're not going to lose Republican votes on this issue, even though they disagree with you. How do we talk about it? How do we make it relevant? How do we win at the ballot box? People tend to vote on the things that are local, human, affect themselves, their families, and the people they love. Only those things. Everything else is just an opinion. Those are the things they vote on. So when we talk about energy and climate, we talk about the ability to rebuild a clean America and create millions of net jobs. This is an absolute fundamental premise of clean energy is that it will employ people around the United States in good paying jobs. And it's important to go to the community. As I say, 35 specific jobs in your community beats 2 million net jobs in the United States somewhere. That's clean air. In California, almost 10% of the people in California have asthma. Disproportionately kids. If you have asthma, you can't go to school. You can't go outside and play. Your life is deeply affected. That's a voting issue. If you're a parent and you see your kid not being able to lead a, have a normal childhood, that's a voting issue. So when we talk about climate, what we really bring it down to is the human impacts, the ability to put people to work, the ability to clean the air, the ability to have a healthier, more prosperous society, which is what we all want. If you're just joining KCBS In-Depth, my guest today is Tom Steyer, former professional investor, philanthropist, political activist, founder of NextGen America. I'm Jane McMillan. Did California extend the, the extension of the cap and trade? Did that go far enough? I know that you and your organization were behind extending that. Happy the governor did it. Does it go far enough, though? So from the very beginning, we knew that cap and trade by itself was not the right way to go. We said from the beginning there has to be a companion bill that pushes clean air in poor communities for disadvantaged kids. So when, it, when you say, did it go far enough, it was a good step forward. We knew that there would be compromises from the beginning. And I think the governor was very realistic about that from the beginning. And we were too. The question that we asked was not, is this the perfect bill? Is this the last bill we'll ever have to pass? The question we ask is, is this a step forward? Given the political realities of 2017, is, can we do better than this? And is this better than nothing? The answer is, I don't believe we could do better. And it is much better than nothing. And so we were strongly behind it. Can local entities, can states who want to continue to participate in the Paris Climate Agreement goals without the administration keeping the us as a nation in, if we talk about the issues at the voting booth being local, is, is this where action on climate change will really take place? Is the loss of national leadership on this issue on the global stage right now going to damage us to the point where we can't catch up? The loss of federal leadership on energy and climate in the United States of America has already damaged us. It's damaged us on a number of fronts. How much can local and state governments fill in that vacuum that the administration has created in terms of leadership? So you got, go, let's go back and say, what is the goal of changing society so we can have a, have a clean society and can actually deal with the climate threat? I normally think of it as clean up energy generation, electrify everything, 
dramatically increase energy efficiency. Those three steps. So when you think about clean up energy generation, that means getting rid of coal, getting rid of fossil fuel generation. A lot of that is done at the state level. Electricity generation is done at the state level. So that, yes, California can say we want to be 100% clean energy by 2045. And that has nothing to do with what Washington, D.C. has to say. The difference is California can't say to Michigan, you're going to have to drop your coal usage over the next 10 years. So a lot is lost there. The second question is electrify everything. We have a right to push a lot of rules in California for building codes, for how many EVs, they're going, electric vehicles they're going to be. To some extent, we can push on that. But once again, we can't compel other states. And in general, we can't set the rules for miles per gallon in the United States of America, which the Environmental Protection Agency specifically can do. And the last point is this. The president of the United States has famously a bully pulpit, the ability to set the agenda for the country, to say, this is what matters. This is where we're going. This is what we care about. So that everybody making decisions around the United States kind of goes, okay, I'm going to make my decisions based on that direction. And it's very hard. To, I think Governor Brown has truly done an incredible job of trying to step into that void. But the fact of the matter is there's nothing that replaces a president of the United States pointing the way and giving direction and, and based on the values of who we are. So yes, it's been bad to have a president who's trying to figure out how to turn loser fossil fuel industries back into winners. That is not helpful. And it, we've obviously lost leadership around the world. It's very obvious. And the question will be, can the states working together enable us to keep going fast enough, particularly in terms of building businesses and creating jobs, so that when we get a new administration, we won't have done what you said, which is to lose leadership in the world. Well, and the time, the, the, the sense of time, I think that's a tough thing for a lot of people to, for a lot of us to wrap our heads around is, is this, this huge thing called climate. And what is the time spectrum that we're looking at and trying to sense, you know, how much, how much time are we losing? How much time do we have? And let's face it, we're all basically procrastinators. You know, few of us look down the line and say, I should floss my teeth an extra time today to save my 70-year-old <laughs> teeth down. So to look at, at, at uh, climate until we're faced with the reality of it, which we are now, we're starting to see it, but so that the sense of urgency is a hard sell. Absolutely. I think that... When I think about this problem, I think about it as a race, and it's kind of a race between what we do and what nature is doing, and we have to beat nature. So if, if you say, well, we're running faster, that's only interesting if we're running faster than nature. We are doing a better job than people predicted five or ten years ago. If you look at how fast we're transforming our society, how good the technology is, how much the cost of clean energy has come down, Technology, American ingenuity, American business are whipping burning rocks. That's why Trump is trying to turn loser businesses into winner businesses, because he has to. Because the fact of the matter is, American technology is beating the pants off the fossil fuel industries, and they can see it. The issue is, so I think on a human basis, including 
the fat American citizens' opinions were way ahead of what we would have hoped for five years ago. Well, truthfully, that's a good bit. That's a good bit of oh my gosh. News. The problem is nature's doing worse than we would have predicted in the race. What we're you said? How much time do we have? Well, I do honestly think that the right comparison is to a big ocean liner. You know, when you have a big ocean liner going, you can't put the brakes on the way you can in a car. So you just keep going. And what we're seeing in nature is things are changing faster than any scientist predicted, which is predictable. Because scientists are very scared about fear-mongering. They're very scared about getting attacked. You know, I always say, if you're a scientist and the correct answer is 10, and you say 8, and then it turns out it's 10, people say, Jane is so reasonable and responsible. It was 10, but she didn't want to overstate. But if you say 12, and it turns out to be 10, they say, Jane, I mean, she's always been an exaggerator. She's always been a hypester. So there's an inherently conservative attitude among scientists. And that's what we're seeing is they have been they, their prognostications, their predictions have underpredicted what's happened, and that's continuing to happen, and we are at grave risk. The issue is there's two sides to this coin. We have both an incredible threat and an incredible opportunity to use this to transform our society into a more prosperous, healthier, and more just society. But the problem is our administration is trying to go the exact opposite way. I can't let you go without asking if you have political aspirations, if we're going to see your name on a ballot sometime, uh, if Dianne Feinstein decides not to run for re-election in the Senate and everyone was kind of wondering if we'd see your name on a gubernatorial ballot. What do you think? I don't know. What I do know is this. I will do whatever I can to stand up for a vision of a more progressive, just, and prosperous United States and California. And so I will do anything that push it that I believe that will be the most effective in pushing that forward. I'm completely dedicated to that. And so if, if I think that the way to do it is to run for office, then I will definitely do that. But I can tell you that what we have believed in are building these grassroots organizations. We believe really strongly in the idea that we need to reframe the issues, that the Republicans have very successfully misframed issues and repeated those statements, which we consider to be absolutely inaccurate, unfair, and dishonest a thousand times until people accept them. And I am absolutely determined to work as part of the group to reframe those issues. And I'll give you an example. The Republican Party has successfully convinced Americans that government is bad, that a popularly elected democratic government is bad. And the famous line was Ronald Reagan's. The scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. They've convinced Americans that governments are bad, taxes are wasted, and that we should rely on the benevolent intentions of corporations. Those are all lies. Absolute lies. We absolutely need a popularly elected voice of the common good, which is called a democratic government. And the idea that corporations are benevolent, I see no evidence of it. And so it's really important that there be a strong force setting the rules, 
giving the framework for them to work within. I'm not down on capitalism. I worked in the private sector for 35 years. But I'm a strong believer that there is an important government role at all times to represent the people of the United States and the voters. And it's not been done well enough. And there has been a gross misstatement of truth in the idea that somehow we should get rid of the government, let the corporations run everything. That's a terrible idea. Tom Steyer, thanks so much for being so upfront with us. Fair enough. On the question of you running, we'll, we'll keep asking it, though. <laughs> we'll keep asking it and, and uh, look forward to hearing more. Thanks so much. Jane, thank you so much for having me on. So much fun. Tom Steyer is the founder of Next Gen America. We have a link to nextgenamerica.org on our website, cbssf.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jane McMillan. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. at 8.30 p.m. And now available for download at kcbs.com. For all news, 740 and FM 106.9, KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 